Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, welcome to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available, one through nine, volumes one through nine, at Amazon in paperback and ebook, and one through eight available at what is it? Audible, iTunes, <laughs> and Amazon as well. So please get out there, show a little support, and pick up a book. Remember, Christmas is coming. Excellent gift or stocking stuffer, my friends. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co host. W.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm K.J. Sheehan. You're W.J. Sheehan. Did I say W.J.? You did. That's all right. So there's two of us. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Well, it's leaf-blowing mania in the Northeast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Same thing in the Southeast. Yeah, so if you hear a drone in the background, it's not a drone. It's one of my neighboring properties trying to keep up with the leaves that just fall and fall and fall. And if you do hear something that sounds like a dog man in the background ripping someone apart, call the authorities. <laughs> After they're done ripping something apart. <laughs> you can't deny the dog man a little fun. Well, I can if it's me he's ripping apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Kev, I just wait till the whole uh, kit and caboodle comes down out of the trees, and then I pay somebody to come in and go through the yard. Yeah. Uh, I used to... My, well, you got a lot of leaves out there, man. Yeah. It, it, well, it is. It's a huge job. That's why people, yeah. every weekend, if they're off, they go out and, you know, spend a couple of two or three hours or whatever just trying to stay on top of it. Oh, trying to keep up with it. Yeah, I get it. And uh, I used to do that, but man, no more. I just I, I, I just can't handle it. And it really, when I started to itemize the amount of uh, hours and time spent, it was ridiculous. I mean, days and days of laboring out there with leaves, you know, and I could pay some guys to come in with a crew of freaking uh, uh, leaf guys for like, you know, $400, $450, whatever it'll be this year. And they go through the yard like uh, a whirlwind in about three hours, and the place looks like nothing ever happened. Very cool. So, uh, anyways, that's it, my brother. What do you have for our interesting cryptids in the news and other oddities segment today? 
Yeah, well, before we get to that story, which we will, I want to tell you where I was this week, Uh Bill. I was out in Denver, Colorado, Uh doing a little bit of uh, work. And then I also snuck away up to Estes Park, Colorado, and spent some time at the Haunted Stanley Hotel. Oh, what a place, huh? (laughs) So we're not going to talk about that today. That's a little bit of like a teaser Mm -hmm. for a future episode. But it was very interesting to hang around at the Stanley. And if you don't know, the Stanley is the hotel that inspired... Uh, the book, The Shining, by Stephen King. So, yeah, and, it's and then when I was flying home, Bill, I watched The Shining on the airplane for the <laughs> ultimate creep fest double feature. <laughs> <laughs> now they say uh, that that uh, hotel is legitimately uh, haunted. They do, they do. It's it's a pretty creepy little place, and I'll. I'll tell you the whole story that I heard firsthand from the people working there. Some of them look like they're about 100 years old, by the way. No offense. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, maybe they were people. Maybe they were ghosts. It was kind of dark outside. <laughs> but it is, uh, it's a pretty cool place. But this week, Bill, we're going to shift gears, and we're going to talk a little bit about UFOs or as they're politically called, politically, their new politically correct name, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the, the initial report on this from the government, the unclassified report to Congress from the U.S. intelligence community, came out in the end of June of this year, 2021. And we didn't talk about it much. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And hopefully me talking about it on this episode may trigger the intelligence community to release the big report that we're all waiting for. We were supposed to see See already, but I'm hoping they release it in time for Christmas reading. <laughs> All right. Yeah, just what we need a little Christmas. Towards the night before Christmas, and just above the house, a large black triangle came down and sucked me up inside. Hey, don't be giving away my version of uh, the poem this year. So, so this is a nine-page report. You can find it online. I'll put a link on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, under this episode, Podcast 126. Uh, but it's a nine-page report. It's pretty interesting reading. Um, and one, uh, you know, I'll pull out some of the bullets directly from the report that I pulled out, and then I'll pull out some some of the stuff that different writers uh, around uh, the internet pulled out as well and published. So. You know, just to get a few different perspectives on it. I thought right in the opening paragraph, um, one of the uh, most interesting bullets was UAPs, again, unidentified aerial phenomena, clearly pose a safety of flight issue and may pose a challenge to U.S. national security. Hmm. Yeah, that's I pre- mean, that's pretty telling right there. I mean, you're not saying it's fake or something like that, you know, or uh, the sun reflecting off of a cloud. Right. right? Right. That wouldn't that wouldn't cause a safety of flight issue and certainly wouldn't be a challenge to U.S. national security. Well, safety of flight would be we could crash into one or they could crash into us. One hundred percent. So, you know, it's not a vapor. Yep. Wow. That's interesting. And then, you know, they write, they publish, uh, after the analysis of the data, 
it supports the idea that these different UAP incidents fall into several different categories, okay, which makes perfect sense. The first one, airborne clutter. I'm not sure what that is, but okay. You know, maybe it's plastic bags flying around <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> uh, natural atmospheric phenomena, perhaps like the... Uh, uh, lunar eclipse that we saw earlier this week. I know you were out telling me, Bill, you were out in the middle of the night or early in the morning taking a peek at the lunar eclipse. Yeah, it was fantastic. And by the way, Kev, you know, there are a lot of, and I'm not uh, disparaging the UFO reports in any way, shape, or form, but there are a lot of very unusual cloud formations. Oh, there are, yeah. And you look at them from a distance like, wow, that is freaking strange, you know. Yeah, I, when I was out in Colorado, you always see some cool ones in Colorado where the plains meet the Rocky Mountains. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, and you're right. All right, so we got that. And then we have uh, U.S. government or U.S. industry developmental programs. Okay, so the old Area 51 type stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, foreign adversary systems. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> And perhaps the most interesting category of all, the catch-all other bin. <laughs> so I hope we're we're uh, gonna get some, gonna get to see some more in the next report of things from the other bin. Yeah. So, but it is good that they do acknowledge that. Yeah, some of it's this, some of it's this, and then some of it, you know, flat out, we don't know what it is. Right. Right. Or at least we're not gonna say what it is right now (laughs) yeah yeah well that's the trick you know the people who see these things uh and some of the reports folks by the way my uh my ufo book is uh hopefully soon to get out there you got to get a copy of this and read uh through these accounts it's going to have over 50 accounts in it uh very strange indeed uh, international accounts, uh, many from uh, the European continent uh, and, of course, around the States. And uh, to me, if you're interested in the UFO, it's a must-read. Go ahead, Kev. I didn't mean to. And a great gift. And a great gift. If you want to buy me one, I'll give you my P.O. box. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, and interestingly enough, they, they also say in a major bullet that after carefully considering all of the information they have, that they're going to, um, th- that they concluded that the reports that involved UAP that was witnessed firsthand by military aviators and that were collected from their avionic systems were considered to be reliable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if we're paying you to fly an F-18 and you're uh, a senior officer of the squadron and you and your wing person see what you're talking about and then all the sensors on your aircraft documented as well, as, of course, we saw in the 2004 Tic Tac incident, you know what? We probably, uh, it seems credible. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Isn't that Jeez. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we might are. as well trash the whole system and get rid of all our pilots. I mean, we are talking about the same people that brought you the Department of Motor Vehicle, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so get this. This was a little bit of a surprise, kind of obvious, but maybe not so obvious. They put in a report that no standardized reporting mechanism existed 
until the Navy established one in March 2019. And then the Air Force subsequently adopted that mechanism in November 2020. Isn't that something, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you'd think they'd have some way to report this. So you talk about the fact that people feel um, feel like pressure on their careers and stuff like that if they report this type of phenomenon. Well, there's not even a means to report it. Right. Well, that's that is part of the stimulus, if you will, to say nothing. Exactly. And uh, you know, we get that where I work in a hospital setting. The yep. people think like they walk around like they're automatons. Everybody's got to be this perfectly cooperative human being, uh, never making any waves, no bullying. You know, this terminology today is just disturbing. Not walking around like a black eyed children. Yeah, though. you know. Well, actually, they are. <laughs> you know, everything's like, hi, how are you today? I'm fine. And you? I'm fine as well. Who talks like that? Who acts like that? Nobody acts like that. Can I borrow your telephone? Yeah. <laughs> I'm more like Don Rickles. Remember Don Rickles, Kim? Oh, wait a minute. All right, let's move on to the next bullet before we get in trouble. So, so there were 144 reports that originated from U.S. government sources. And they say these 80 of these credible reports involved observation with multiple sensors. And this is between 2004 and 2021. Uh That's a lot of reports, Bill. Yeah. Yep. That is a lot of reports. A lot of reports. So 80 of the 144 um, had multiple sensors, including the witnesses. And what they talk about here in the report is that the sensors, you know, for example, mounted on U.S. military platforms, they're typically designed to fulfill specific missions. And as a result, they're not that great for, you know, identifying UAP or, you know, troubleshooting and cataloging UAP. You know, it's more designed to acquire and, uh, you know, uh, lock onto a military target or something like that or collect intelligence and stuff like that, but not about these UAP. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting that 80 of the reports also had uh, multiple operational sensors on these platforms that also picked up the UAP. So it wasn't, for example, like, you know, a dirty pair of eyeglasses, eyeglasses that an aviator was wearing or, an, or a reflection off of the canopy of a jet or something like that, because the sensors wouldn't pick up on that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And this is ultra high tech, uh, you know, uh, devices that they're using, uh, you know. I, I don't know. Uh, I remember in the electronics industry, you know, you had your mil-spec parts. And the parts, like the integrated circuits uh, that the military would buy, had to be tested to such extremes that a part that you or I could buy for, like, 50 cents uh, became, like, $50. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because of the rigorous testing and retesting that these devices needed to be pit, put through to become part of a system. Yeah. And uh, I doubt highly that the uh, anything that would be reported would be fake or, or misconstrued in any way, you know. Oh, I, yeah, I agree 100%. 
So, so next big bullet is narratives from aviators in the operational community and analysts from the military describe disparagement associated with observing UAP, mm-hmm. reporting it, or attempting to discuss it with colleagues. Mm-hmm. And then they go on, they say, although the effects of these stigmas have lessened as senior mep- members of the scientific policy, military, and intelligent communities engage in the topic seriously in public. Reputational risk may keep many observers silent, complicating scientific pursuit of the topic. So this is the old, you know, I saw this, but I can't report this, right? Like even uh, the famous Whitehall Bigfoot incident up in Whitehall, New York, where, you know, the one trooper reported it and the other police officer that was there with him said i'm not going on record with this i was standing here next to you i saw it i know it was a bigfoot but i'm not i'm not going to write up the report and please don't mention that don't mention me by name Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right because they're afraid people are going to think they're crazy even even in the military you know and the u.s government yeah it is nuts and all of a sudden they could pull the rug out from under you and you won't be flying anymore. You'd be designated to a desk detail. Yeah, well, you may, and you may miss your next promotion or whatever it is, right? Your next command. Right. Uh, who knows? It's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, no, it is crazy. And it's, it's, it's really a shame that it has to get to this point. But it, it, it is what it is, you know, and we all know what it is. Yep. So, uh, and it, this next one's pretty interesting as well. Again, not going to be shocking to you, but interesting that you know it's mentioned as one of the major bullets in the report. In 18 incidents described in 21 reports, observers reported unusual UAP movement patterns or flight characteristics. Right, so this is where <laughs> some of them, you know remained stationary Mm -hmm. even though the wind was blowing you know 130 miles an hour aloft Mm -hmm. some moved abruptly some moved at speed that wasn't possible by anything Mm -hmm. we know today some moved with speed you know from a stop uh to another place without any visible or discernible means of propulsion too Mm -hmm. and then they specifically mentioned that in a small number of cases military aircraft systems processed Radio, fre- radio frequency or RF energy associated with the UAP sightings. Yeah, that's really interesting. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of theories out there as to what propel these things. You know, anti-gravity, uh, electromagnetism in conjunction with gravity. Uh, it, it's a weird thing, you know, but there are guys out there who are experimenting uh, and God knows what the military's doing trying to figure it out. There are private citizens with good brains uh, experimenting with these things. And they've come up with some really unique uh, ideas as to how this uh, this thing may work, you know. Agree. Agree 100%. I mean, it's pretty cool. I know I'm, I'm uh, citing things from a government report, but I'll put the whole report up there. It's six or seven pages long. Uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, check it out yourself. Read it. You, it it's, not a snooze, uh, it's not a snooze fest. You won't fall asleep reading this uh, uh, six, seven-page report. It's got some good, good info in there, and it'll— wet your whistle 
I think, for the big report that we're supposed to see. So, uh, But I think it's pretty interesting in there, and I think they are making changes, you know, with the reporting process and giving a little bit more uh, credibility to these uh, military folks yep. that have that report, the sightings, and they're looking into them rather than just blowing them off, which I think is good. Yeah, and by the way, you know, Mylar balloons do not remain stationary in a 100-knot headwind, Right. Uh, nor do they make right angles and speed up in flight. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired of hearing some of this rubbish also that gets thrown out there. No, no pun intended about the rubbish being thrown out. There. Yeah. Yeah. What was that one category? Airborne clutter. That's what that <laughs> is, Bill. <laughs> Airborne clutter. <laughs> Uh, like somebody opened up a box of Kleenexes going down the uh, interstate, and they just <laughs> <laughs> went up into the atmosphere and blew blew past into the wind on F-18. Well, you know, they used to have that stuff. I'm sure they still do in one form or another. They used to call it chaff. Yeah. You know, where they'd release it so that a, a, a missile uh, yeah. fired at a, a, another uh, plane would pick that up instead of the body of their jet, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that would definitely be airborne clutter. But I, I doubt highly that there are clouds of chaff flying around, uh, you know, all over the earth at different points in time, you know? No. Only the anti-gravity <laughs> chaff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that was good, Kev. Now, I, I really appreciate that, and hopefully the audience feels the same <laughs> way because I like to stay on top of this stuff. Uh, yeah, and it's good stuff. It's a good report, and I hope the real big one comes out soon because I think it'll be uh, fantastic. And uh, and again, stay tuned in a future episode for the creep fest that I experienced at the Stanley Hotel. And hopefully, I didn't bring any spirits home with me in my <laughs> luggage. <laughs> Boy, that's freaking cool, man! All right, well, <laughs> we we'll look forward to that. And speaking of creep fest. Uh, Guys, I got one for the record, the record book here. Uh, it's an extremely gruesome account told to me by a fellow named Todd Seiling, or Skyling, who at the time hailed from the area of Tacoma, Washington. And this is what Todd had to say. I was working the timber northeast of Kluchman Rock on the western edge of the Queets River. I had hiked in about four miles from the Queets Ranger Station and was set up against a tall pine near the edge of what appeared to be a well-used game trail. Being unfamiliar with the location and after about two hours of seeing nothing, I decided to backtrack to an area I had passed through on my hike in that looked pretty good as well, and once again positioned myself with my back against a large fir. I don't think that I was sitting there for more than 10 minutes when I shifted my body to get more comfortable, and something jabbed me right in the butt. I stood up looked down at the ground, moving some of the mulch and garbage out of the way in order to see what I had sat on. 
I immediately started to uncover what appeared to me to be human metacarpal or metatarsal bones. In other words, these were the bones from either a human's hand or foot. I was convinced they were human and not animal. Having sat through many hours of skeletal anatomy classes, But what they were doing here by this tree was anyone's guess. I set my gun against the tree, and grabbing a branch, I started to clear away more of the debris on the ground surrounding the base of this large tree. As I did so, I uncovered more bones, which I was now certain were the ulnar radius and humerus bones from a human arm. Now, this guy obviously had knowledge of anatomy. This now told me that the bones I had first found were in fact the metacarpal and phalanges from the same arm. So I have knowledge of this myself. These were hand and finger bones. I was alone and I distinctly remember a raw chill going through my entire body as I realize now what I was uncovering. Having been there, I can speak in all honesty that there is something really eerie about standing in a spot where an unburied human had met their apparent demise. And yet, there I found myself alone, deep in the woods. I had actually cleared a decent-sized little area with the branch to uncover what I had found as far as the bones were concerned, and I could not see nor find any more. So there I stood, trying to make some sense out of having found partial human remains next to this tree. It was then that I started thinking, as anyone would have, just how is it that a human arm and nothing else found its way into the woods detached from its owner. I remember standing there, Bill, rubbing my forehead with my fingers as I was trying to make sense of it all, when something said to me, look up, and so I did. The initial set of substantial boughs on this large tree actually began protruding from the trunk some 30 feet or so from the ground. As I looked up, my eyes were immediately drawn to some colored fabric draped across one of the boughs. I could now see enough to realize that I was looking at the remains of a clothed human being laying across this large branch. It was, a, it was directly above where I had found the bones of the hand and arm. I immediately took note of the fact that there was no tree stand or climbing apparatus attached to the trunk, nor were there smaller limbs that a man or anything else could have supported themselves on to climb this tree to that height. This person had either shimmied up the tree and died, or something else had done the same, carrying it up there. 
There was no backpack, no weapon of any sort visible on the ground surrounding the tree. No sooner had I come to grips with what was already turning out to be a gore fest that my eyes caught a glimpse of some other colored fabric in a different part of the tree that was also very high off the ground. I walked around the base to better position myself in order to see whatever it was more clearly. I realized that not only was I seeing the remains of yet another human being, but there was also what appeared to be the carcass of a deer or elk some ten feet away from it, also laying across some boughs. It was at that precise moment in time that I was suddenly keenly aware, deep inside of my innermost being, that I was now being watched. There's no other way of my explaining it to you. I felt as though whoever or whatever had done this terrible deed was now aware that I knew it too, and it or they were not happy about it. What a freaking predicament. I had a long hike out, and although I hadn't planned to leave at this part of the day before I had come upon all of this grisly stuff, I knew that I had to leave and leave now. That's the way I felt at that moment in time. I suddenly felt as though I was now in imminent danger by remaining here or there, quite possibly on my way out as well. As I began to make my way out, I must inform you that there were many areas of this forest where something could easily get the jump on you, and there would be little, if any, time for you to react. That's just the nature of hunting. We are stalking something in the surroundings in which we ourselves could easily become the hunted if the tables were turned. Today, I was starting to feel as though they had been turned. It must have been a mile or so into my outbound hike when I came into what I would call a shallow valley between two hills, retracing the way I had come in earlier in the day. The central path between these two hills was damp and soggy to walk on. I could see my boot tracks from earlier in the day when unexpectedly there before my eyes mixed in with my own tracks were the giant imprints of a human-type foot that were made in the same direction as mine were coming in. There were about eight of them and many others alongside the softer, muddied area that I could see. I now knew that either a Bigfoot had followed me in or had traversed the same route that I had sometime after me. In either case, it could easily see my tracks and where I was heading. These tracks, although I didn't stop to measure them, were all of 20 to 25 inches long, and in the softer area, they were all of 6 inches into the ground, whereas my own were maybe an inch deep. At that moment, the thought had entered my mind that I was going to die in the woods and nobody would ever find me. I was hunting with my lever action Winchester that day and I chambered around. 
I stepped up my pace while being as cautious as I possibly could, taking into consideration the way that I had felt at the time. When I found myself passing through a really dense grouping of trees, I was only about 30 yards, if that, into this grouping when I heard a loud snap, followed by a deep growl to my right. What happened next was the result of a knee-jerk reaction based entirely on a building fear within me. I turned with my rifle and emptied it in a fan pattern, quickly ratcheting off every round. I distinctly remember salvo number four because no sooner had I squeezed it off than a scream of demonic proportions erupted from the trees. I thought I had shot the devil himself and the screaming didn't stop. I quickly loaded the gun and repeated the same spray pattern I had just done, firing off six more rounds and started to run faster than I had ever run in my life. I was running and shoving more rounds into the breach as best as I could. The last thing I wanted to do was turn an ankle or worse, and I could hear this thing wailing behind me, having evidently been shot by round number four. I covered the last three miles out to the ranger station, faster than I would have believed I could ever run in my lifetime. When I reached the station, the ranger asked me if that was me firing a little while ago up to the north, to which I lied and said no, but that I had heard the shots also. I don't know why, but I didn't want to get into the whole Bigfoot thing and have to explain to him what happened. I did, however, tell him about what I found in the tree, and he was all ears. Well, the next day, I led a group of 10 lawmen on foot back to the location, and everyone was as shocked as I was when I first found the bodies. I told the men I didn't really want to be there anymore, and two of them brought me back out. There was some of the usual questioning, as you can imagine, but I think it was obvious to everyone that I didn't kill these people and put them up in a tree either. I'm sure that I shot a Bigfoot that day, but I have no tangible proof other than what I just told you up to this point in time. Who these unfortunate people were, I have no idea. And neither did I follow up at all with law enforcement to ask any further questions regarding this whole grisly matter. But I will end with saying this much. No cougar or any other animal is capable of scaling a bare tree trunk to such heights, carrying a human body out onto a limb. And on top of that, coming back to the same tree several times over and over again. This act, in my opinion, had been performed by the Bigfoot and nothing else. What do you think of that, Kev? Whoa. Pretty serious stuff. I mean, but it's in the hotbed out there. Washington State. Yeah, Kluchman's Rock. And the Queets River area. I haven't been there. i got to look it up on the map and see where that is. Yeah, yeah well, you go over there, bro. Make sure you always carry more gun. 
Did well, you? speaking of carrying more, more gun, Bill, but with all due respect to the hunters out there like this hunter with his lever-action Winchester, I, th- I think if you're hunting around in uh, the Pacific Northwest, you know, um, western side of Canada, you can bring your hunting weapon. But I think you need like a stag AR-15, you know, with a 40-shot clip of 5.56 ammo and maybe even some laser sighting. I I would carry that. You know, they're small enough. They're light enough. I'd throw that over your shoulder on the other shoulder from the rifle just in case you run into a little Bigfoot and you got to throw 40 shots from a single clip, Adam. You know, of course, you can have more than one clip, too. I'm just saying, Bill. Yeah, hey, listen, I'm not opposed to laying a banana on a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so you like bananas, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is one creepy story. And uh, again, you know, it, it rang back uh, to the story of uh, the orthopedic surgeon uh, in that one bone pile episode when he knew what he was looking at. Oh, yeah. And uh, I said to myself, you know, people think, well, how does this guy know all of that? Anybody, any nurse, uh, any uh, paramedic, uh, anybody in advanced medical studies uh, goes through uh, skeletal anatomy and... uh, it's an eye-opener, you know, if you've never done it, and I have. Uh, it's an eye-opener to what's going on under the skin in a body, and you just you just don't forget it. You know, you just remember what's in your hand, what your fingers are, how the joints are comprised, the tendons, the ligaments. And there are millions upon millions of people just in North America that have sure. gone through... That have some kind of training like that, I agree. Absolutely. And uh, so he recognized initially, he thought, wow, these look like metacarpal and, uh, or metatarsal bones at the very least, like foot or hand bones. Uh, and then when he uncovered what he said was the ulnar and the radius, those are the two bones that form your forearm, uh, he said, this is the arm of a human being. I mean, can you believe, Kev, looking up in the tree? And seeing a subskeletal remains humped over a, a arched over a branch like that jogger lady, you remember no. remember that jogger um, account? Yeah, yeah, but uh, no, I cannot imagine, Bill. I think my heart would stop. I don't. You know, how can you stand there? I mean, I th- I don't know if I wouldn't start trembling or something or freaking out. No, you'd hear the uh, sound from the cartoons, like when uh, somebody starts running. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, that weird drum would start beating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that was. I'd love to have that drum. Yeah. I could use it on the podcast. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You did it better than me. <laughs> we'll look for that sound. We'll look for that sound effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love sound effects. <laughs> So how about this guy just, like, freaking out and firing a spray pad and ratcheting off every shot? I mean, I I, I can't blame him. I I might be inclined to do the same thing. Just shoot blindly and and try to scare whatever you're hearing off. 
I think that's because he had that lever action Winchester. You know, you you get the laser dot on uh, the hairy man that's threatening your life, and click 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 with your stag AR fifteen. Yeah, you'd be like pre- you'd be like Predator. You know, where you hit it. Yeah, it'd be like at the uh, arcade game. Yeah. <laughs> now I've got you. Beam. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So that's the. Uh, that is the account for today, man, and, and what a freaking showstopper that is. Uh, it's a good one, Bill. And by the way, folks, before the letters start coming in, I am not an advocate of going out and hunting Bigfoot. I'm talking about when you see the person torn apart up in the tree and then that predator starts coming at you. Right. That's we're, what I'm talking we're about. We're talking self-defense. Self-defense, 100%. Yeah. Because let me tell you something. If that thing comes at you and it continues to come at you and you don't do something, I think you're in for a bad ending. I love the outdoors and trees as much as anyone else, but that doesn't mean I want to be outdoors, torn apart, and thrown up in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fine line or two there. Yeah, Bill. well, you know, I mean, with good reason, you know. <laughs> if, if somebody turns you up and throws you in the tree, chances are you're not walking home. No. no. <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. Hey, by the way, folks, you know, if you've seen something, say something. And you could reach out to my brother and I through our webpage, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact link and uh, let us know what you've seen or remember or heard about in your family or area. Uh, and, uh, I'll get back to you. You know, I hear from a lot of people out there, uh, who are coming in contact with things, uh, Bigfoot, uh, UFOs, haunted houses, weird spirits in their homes. I mean, people talk to me about everything and anything, and you know why? Because they know they can. They're not afraid to talk to me. Because uh, they know how I am and who I am. And by the way, who I am is really who I am. So when you're listening to my brother and I, uh, I'm not hiding behind some veil like the Wizard of Oz. Uh, what you hear is what you get. And uh, I'm not trying to be or acting in any way that I don't ordinarily act. Uh, so you need not fear. If you've seen something, you can talk to me plainly and openly. And, uh, you know, we'll have a conversation about it. And that's the way it is, right, Kev? That's a fact. And, folks, you know, for what it's worth, I try to reel him in as far as I can to keep him from being as normal as he normally is. <laughs> and speaking- All right, Bill, we got some great listener mail. That was, that was indeed a gruesome account, by the way. And yep. we love gruesome accounts. Um, but our first letter comes in from Rick out in Alberta, Canada. Oh, yeah. And uh, Alberta, you know, that's definitely a hotbed for the hairy man. We got some good video from out there as well as uh, accounts. And he writes, uh, hi, Bill and Kevin. Yes, Alberta does get cold here in the winter with many days in the minus 30 degrees F. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Rick's writing in because I referred to how cold it could be out there sometimes. And, and Rick, I've even been out there when it was minus 40, where basically at that temperature, as I recall, it doesn't matter if you're talking Celsius or Fahrenheit. It's the same. Mm-hmm. Like the, the two scales converge. 
Um, but Rick goes on to write, but last summer we got to 100 degrees F for weeks in a row, making me wish my, the front of my house wasn't all windows like Bill mentioned. For us, that's too hot. We're not built for that kind of heat. Which what brings me to the thought that what does a Bigfoot do during heat waves like the ones we saw in Canada? They seem to have extra long hair. Do they shed hair like a dog or a horse in the summer? Uh, like a winter and a summer coat. Loving the podcast. What are your thoughts? Rick. Yeah. What do you think of that, Kev? I, I think they just lay low, try and stay cool, you yeah. know, stay in a shady part like the rest of us. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have the same question about the cold. You know, if you have grizzly bears up in your part of the woods, Rick, and they go and hibernate through the winter because mm-hmm. they can't get enough food and because it's too cold, they hide in a cave, you know, and and slumber with extra fat on them. How does the Bigfoot get around in the wintertime? You know, yep. but we see sightings in the heart of the winter in these very cold places, too. So I think that's more mysterious than what do they do on those really hot days. Yeah, uh, Rick... Uh by the way, Rick uh, had contacted me early on, Kev, yep. uh, in doing our podcast. And uh, Rick is the real deal up there, hunting, uh, guiding. Uh, he sent me pictures of uh, wall tent encampments out in the woods of Alberta, uh, the track vehicles they used to get in there. Uh, I had no reason... Uh, whatsoever to doubt uh, Rick's account uh, when I heard it from him. Uh, he had seen a uh, Bigfoot come out of a clear cut, walk along the tree line, and then just duck back into the trees, uh, amongst some other things that I have spoken about. Uh, in the past. Very interesting character, very forthright. I uh, took him to be very truthful and honest. Just matter of fact, uh, this is what happened. This is what I do. This is what I love. And, uh, you know, because of that, he had his uh, various encounters or, or evidential finds of strange, strange goings on. So, Rick, always glad to hear from you and to have you as a listener. Mm. Well, we go from Rick out in Alberta to another Rick and another frequent listener and frequent contributor. I would even call him a field reporter of sorts. And that's Rick in Ohio. Uh huh. And Rick writes in, hi, gents. This is for Kevin, given his dislike of witches. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a listing from the news. I'm not sure where it came from in the news, but it's a ranking of 2021's best and worst cities for witches. Oh. And by the way, Rick and everyone else out there, especially you witches, I don't have a dislike for witches. I am afraid of witches, let's be clear. I am not going out to one of your gatherings in the forest. But it doesn't mean that I don't like you or that I am anti-witch. Just like I don't like going for root canals, but I'm not anti-endontist or anti-dentist. 
<laughs> All right, Bill. So what do you think the top city is for witches in the United States of America? You know, I don't even think I'm going out on a limb with what I'm about to say because I know this area so well. New York. New York, New York. Start spreading the news. The Big Apple's got a big witch holding it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Am I right? You are correct. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of strange individuals uh, in not only the region I live, but in the city, there's even more of them. I mean, you know, years ago, I worked with a group of guys, and uh, I came into them kind of late. They had all been together for quite some time, and, of course, I was Johnny-come-lately. And they used to have a saying, anything goes when the whistle blows. And around here, there are people that just buy into the strange... Uh, it's like they're they're missing something from life, and they're looking for something out on the edge. So they want to be perceived as being different than the other person next to them. That's that's the bottom line to me. They yeah. want to be odd. And uh, the thing is, and I won't get too deep in this. I actually know uh, a woman. She deliberately does everything to her body to look weird. I'm talking. Is she, is she a witch? She says she is. And on the back of her car, you know, my other car is a broom bumper sticker. <laughs> does uh, she bring a broom to work? Uh, yeah, right. She drives <laughs> a broom. <laughs> does she have a green color to her? <laughs> no, but you know. It's funny we're talking about this subject because I hadn't seen this lady in quite some time. I'm talking years. And I saw her the other day, and she wouldn't make eye contact with me, but she knew who I was, and I, of course, recognized her. And I'll tell you this. For a young woman, relatively young, her body, her face looked twice the age so uh, to me, it seemed like her involvement in whatever she does, and I don't know a fraction of it. I only know what she says she is. Uh, it looked like it was really taking a toll on her. So I just throw that out there, you know, because I'm an observer, right? I tell other people to observe. And that was my observation of this woman uh, and her life involved in whatever she's doing, you know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know many witches, but like if I look to Hollywood, you have uh, what's her name from Bewitched. Um, she looked pretty good, um, but then you have the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz. She had some mileage on her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Kevin, but back to the list. So yeah. the the top ten cities. This is a list of two hundred, which I'm not going to go through. But it's interesting. The top ten, of course, number one, New York, New York. Number two, Los Angeles, California. Okay. okay, so maybe that's not a surprise. Uh-huh. And then six of the remaining uh, of the top ten are also in California. So maybe that has to do with the uh, the strange you were talking about. Yeah, well, you know, look what that place attracted in the 60s, right? You had uh, Haight-Asbury, 
uh, the flower children. Uh, you know, there was a lot of strange goings on over there. And I that, think the flower children were everywhere, but I wasn't around to comment. But the bottom 10, the last one, number 200, if you are anti-witch, which is not myself, Laredo, Texas. Huh. And interestingly enough, uh, four out of the bottom 10 cities are Texas. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's, uh, there's a lot of transference going on there, too, from Mexico. Mm. You know, Laredo is a border town. Oh, sorry, though. These are the worst cities for witches, Bill. Worst as in not or? Well, they don't specify, but I'm saying, you know. <laughs> I don't think you want to be around there because it's easily to be mistaken for any kind of enemy and they will shoot you. (laughs) But anyway, pretty cool, Rick. Thanks for the list. And uh, I just wanted to point out that, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina is not on the list anywhere. Okay, so. (laughs) But if you're a witch in Raleigh, North Carolina, there is no need to reach out to me. Please. (laughs) Keep it to yourself. I won't report you if I see you fly by on a broom. (laughs) And Big Martha does not like witches, just to be clear. She'll snap at you. She may (laughs) snap at you. All right. So we had someone write in, Bill, with a uh, spoofed email address, which I really liked. It was like gmail at gmail.com. And their name is Anonymous Anonymous. I don't know if they pronounce both of those uh, names the same way. Yes. Uh, But it was a submarine damage update. You know, I responded to that story, or I covered that story a few weeks back, where the uh, U.S. nuclear submarine hit some type of submerged object or was hit by a submerged object in the South China Sea Mm -hmm. and did extensive damage to this uh, nuclear sub. Well, this is a follow-up report. That was the official response from the U.S. Navy, and it was on uh, covered on CBS News. So it turns out, Bill, it's pretty interesting that um, the top three officers, including the Master Chief Sonar Technician of this uh, attack submarine, the USS Connecticut, were all fired by the Navy. So, you know, I hope... Don't take this the wrong way, folks. But I hope that these three guys really were negligent um, and they weren't scapegoats because something else happened here. Mm, Yeah. You know, because of the escalation of uh, uh, temperature between the U.S. and China, I hope uh, that um, they didn't get fired because the U.S. didn't want to have any incident with the Chinese and maybe something else happened because it's hard to believe I don't know. It's hard to believe with all the training and all the responsibility these folks have that drive and take care of these uh, U.S. nuclear attack submarines that they're going to run into a mountain on the bottom of the ocean. But I guess it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, unless they were really dogging something else and hit it. Well, that's what I mean. But, you know, they they know where they are, Bill. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, it just uh, it makes you wonder. Uh about capability, you know, is it beyond the realm of rational thinking? And I guess it would have to be to think of one being so close to the other that they don't even know you're there. 
And then something. I, I think th- that's true. I mean, you know, the the literature and reports and stuff say that, you know, the U.S. has the quietest historically, the quietest submarines, mm-hmm. um, and that they have these, you know, signatures on file of all of the different submarines from, uh, you know, our adversaries, whether it's the Russian, the Chinese, whatever. Right. So, uh, and, they, and they're typically known as being undetectable. But, of course, technology's changing and things like that. Who knows? Right. You know? And listen, in the game of spy versus spy, nobody wants you to know. No, and you have. never really know what the outcome was. That's right. right. That's right. 100%. So, All right, uh, Bill. Well, our last note comes in from Bob. And um, Bob, he doesn't say where he's from, um, but it's interesting. He talks about the uh, Twilight Zone episode where we talked about uh, in Listener Mail a couple of weeks ago where someone said there's a Bigfoot that appears on the wing in the original um, episode of... uh, called the gremlin or something like that of the twilight zone and you remember i talked about it like well i i may be confused with the movie version of the twilight zone where there was indeed this gremlin out on the wing Mm -hmm. so he bob shed some light on this so he says hi wj and kj really enjoying the podcast with all of the creepy stories facts and of course the comedy or at least i would say our attempt at comedy (laughs) as i was listening to your most recent podcast today a hairy man was mentioned as being on the wing of an airplane on the twilight zone tv show that episode was on both the movie and the series in the series William Shatner played the fear-filled passenger, and the creature, which was supposed to be a gremlin, really did look more like a Bigfoot. In the movie version, the gremlin looked like a reptilian type of creature, and John Lithgow played the fear-filled passenger. Thank you guys for creating a very interesting and fun-filled show. I listen every week since the beginning. I have some very interesting stories to tell you sometime and some audio files to share if you're interested. God bless you both. Keep up the great work and keep up what you're doing. So, Bob, we are definitely interested, first of all. So reach out to us. Bill will give you a call. And if you don't want to talk to Bill, I guess I could give you a call, too. <laughs> um, and thank you for this uh, detailed facts on the Twilight series episode. I, I must have remembered the uh, the creature from the movie, being the youngster that I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, folks. Well, Bill, that's it this week. Great episodes. Uh, Folks, thanks for listening. Give us a five-star review today, please. We certainly appreciate it. And uh, enjoy yourself. And hope you all have a great Thanksgiving, too. We'll we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, uh, my sentiments exactly, folks. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. And uh, by the way, we will be announcing the winner of our little gift on the next podcast. And remember, after you've eaten your turkey, your cranberries, had a glass of wine and a piece of pumpkin pie, and you decide to walk, take a little walk by the Queets River, perhaps passing Kluchman's Rock, you best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.